0: Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker, from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots. To learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. We've chatted politics. We've chatted all sorts of things. We've spoken about introversion, and uh, he has admitted to me that maybe he a little something that he heard from Ru- Russell Ackerburg's podcast might have rung a bit of truth with him. But I'll let him speak for himself. His name is Jan Scho- He, in his later life, we're talking about 30 years old. He started paragliding, but he has a much more interesting story to tell about flying other things like sail planes and a special kind of motor sailplane that, uh, that he owns himself, uh, which I'd like to ask jan Pio all about. Hi, Jan. Welcome on the podcast, brother. Good to hear from you, Steph. Born in 1966. At 15 years old, you started flying sailplanes since your dad was already flying them. As you described to me, every December was competition time. That was it. That's where you guys went. And you got fed lots of that kind of thing. Tell us about that. Uh, how is it? Well, planes have been around since uh, in
1: Germany in the 1920s and 30s. So it's a sort of the beginning of sport aviation. I mean, my earliest recollections as being on an air- airport. First flight was at the age of two, jumping off car roofs into whoever was... W- Within meters of of the car, you know, jumping into their arms. So that that was my first recollection of flying. Always been around airports. Always been interested in aviation of all kinds as a interest. But it, it, I find it quite interesting. You know how in every single sport or activity related to vehicles, there's you can divide each one up into petrol heads and non petrol heads. Uh, So, you know, in boating, you've got people who only want to do yachts and people who only want to do motorboats, motorcycles and bicycles, that sort of thing. So, I'm decidedly in the non petrol head camp, but uh, interested in all all aviation. I started flying, uh, I started instructing at uh, taking instruction at about 15. Uh, went solo at sixteen. Very quickly started flying competitions, but not not heavily. Uh, basically, in my very first competition, I had a bit of a an accident. Invol in by the way, involving lack of plan A, plan B, plan C, which is basically mm-hmm. piloting. So I I stopped flying sailplanes for 10 years I briefly restarted again but then I started paragliding paragliding for 10 years I started flying competitions almost straight away I I progressed quite quickly to DHV23s but then I, I had some work issues and I slowed down a bit tried to wean myself off paragliding a bit bought myself the motor glider stepped back to a DHV2, an Aspen, a Gradient Aspen 2, and then flew in the sports class for a couple of years just doing Mm -hmm. competition flying. No, virtually didn't do weekend flying. And Mm -hmm. I actually realized I was enjoying the paragliding more than flying the motor glider around. Since then, I've sort of come back more to... Paragliding, but I've also started flying a 18 meter competition racing class ship. That's a proper glider, which is uh, which is great. That's very different. I've only started doing that in the last two or three years, so I'm still struggling to find time for all of this. You know, compared to a guy like you, I do 40 flights and 80 hours a year on a paraglider. I'm doing about 20 hours a year on the motor glider i basically just used the motor glider to do cross country trips the the idea of the motor glider is to do touring in the beginning i did do quite a lot of touring i would go me and my dad would go play in namibia go to the drakensberg we went to zimbabwe twice the only competitive flying i've done in the motor glider is doing a a navigation a navigation exercise competition up in Zimbabwe, where you fly in the Zambezi Valley, following map. That's all you've got to fly a nominated speed over a nominated course without using a GPS, using just maps and compass. Whoever flies it the most accurately wins. That's basically what I've been doing with the with the motor glider. I haven't been using it enough. I yeah. You know, I struggle to find an excuse to fly, put it that way, but uh, yeah, the paragliding, I'm really enjoying flying uh, PWC level. Uh, last year, I did China and uh, Brazil, uh, lovely, right. uh, and
0: Portugal makes my year. So, yeah, great. Well, I had Pippi Maleki on the line yesterday, and he was telling me how he his number one place on earth is to come and fly in Portugal. So that's really a nice compliment for us. It is an absolutely brilliant place to fly, and it's absolutely true. Tell us about the Lombarda. You have a motor glider called uh, Lombarda. Apparently, it's a South African-made little jobby. Negative.
1: It's uh, it's a Czech manufactured. I don't think the the manufacturers closed down a bit, called Urban Mm -hmm. Air. It's more of a a fixed-wing aircraft with longish wings, and you can turn the engine off. I can fly down to Cape Town in one go, pushing it a bit on the fuel quantity, but I I can do it. So it cruises at 180 kilometers an hour at uh, using 15 liters an hour of fuel. And I've got hundred liters of fuel so I can cruise for six Mm. hours at 180 kilometers an hour with it. I can turn the engine off. It's got a glide angle of one in 30 That might sound impressive to a paraglider pilot, but even though it handles like a fighter aircraft, it's very easy to fly, uh, very maneuverable in the thermal. It doesn't, and it climbs reasonably well, but the glide, a 130, a one in 30 glide on a motor glider is not very usable in a cross-country situation. Uh, The problem is it's, it's, that glide angle of 1 in 30 drops down to 1 in 15 at, say, um, 140 kilometers an hour, which is not very fast. Your glide right. angle goes off a cliff at, at slightly higher speeds.
0: So uh, the, the, the glide of 30, what kind of speed would that be at? About hundred. 100- kilometers an hour you you kind of don't rate it very much what's what's your what's your allure to paragliding and i mean you mentioned now that you you told me some months ago that you're uh, with a big smile on your face got your dad's racing sailplane Uh, which do you prefer and why i mean or or just differentiate the two and the feelings paragliding
1: in particular is very emotional uh it's more a case of uh which side of the bed i roll out of um i haven't properly started flying competitions uh with the sailplane uh, i was intending to try and do one right now actually but mm-hmm. uh that's obviously cancelled well, you know one of the reasons why i started paragliding was i had this very naive uh, when i was 18 i crashed the sailplane in a, in unlandable terrain out in the desert near Freiburg. So one of my motivations for looking, I have an unnatural fear of landing in bad places. I thought paragliding would solve it, but I had absolutely no idea what holes we fly in in paraglider,
0: so it makes no difference whatsoever you might be living a trauma from an accident you had when you were eighteen years old. It can be something that haunts us and lives with us every single day. We don't seem to be able to shake it off or get rid of it. Uh, do you think that might ring true?
1: It's more a case of uh, you're your your own worst critic, and you you need to actually stop criticizing yourself, get over it, and just forget about it. I went through a phase with a paragliding of realizing that. Literally got the same problem. Let's call it uh, the scary word: panic. Some people call right. it fight or flight. It's a matter of if you don't use your brain. So I, I went through a phase where I realized, oh shit, I'm making really, really bad decisions on landing or getting into holes in a in a paraglider. I had to reevaluate. This is happening again. What's going wrong? I decided it's more a case of how do you use your brain? If you you have to, for, to prevent that happening, you've got to force your brain to evaluate the options. You've got to force your brain, if you're not evaluating a plan A, plan B, plan C, and giving yourself, and postponing the decision points between plan A and plan B, so you postpone the decision a few, even a few seconds or a minute or a position ahead, you say that's my decision point. That instantly takes your brain out of that mode. Right. Um, so, so you've got to force your brain to be, and once you can do that, it it improves your flying dramatically. You, uh, you, you're flying more logically, and you're not getting into Situations where you know simple things like struggle, struggle, struggle. I don't want to be here. Fly out, land, and then watch everyone fly over your head. uh It's not necessarily a a a, a case that you you were panicking. It's just hyper focused on one option was I want to get out of here now. You, if you open up to more options, you. Can I do one more turn? That sort of thing.
0: And it immediately improves your flying. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have to uh, echo uh, the voice of um, Honorin Hamar, who said a few days ago, a uh, top tip for cross-country pilots is forget about retrieve. Forget about where you're going to land. Focus on the day. It's a day, you've taken the day aside for paragliding, you're going cross country, you may as well stop stressing about if I'm gonna land in this middle of, uh, middle of nowhere patch, if I'm actually going to make it to the next road or to where the nice farm is, or I know there's a pub down the road, you're in competitions. Your goal is to try and make it to goal. So forget any other distractions and only put your mind towards what you're doing right there and then. I'm a bit more soft core compared to other people.
1: Uh, in that respect, I do not like free-flying and not having a plan, just flying some of our mates they, who fly till either sunset or the Botswana border stops them. If that's not really me, I'll turn back to my car if I, if I think the day is not all that great. Also, compared to you in a competition, when they cancel a task, you're always the first person to take off and fly. I, I'm more of the, uh, it's not a great day, looks there's a bit of risk, forget about mm-hmm. it. Pack up, drive the car down, have a beer. Uh, so there's it, different temperaments. I, I, I just, um, I prefer testing myself in competitions that I love having someone, I prefer having someone to tell me where to go. Free-flying,
0: not. Yeah, unfortunately, we're all different day on. I mean, uh, none of us are made of the same mold, which is great because if we're all androids, which uh, our South African government seems to want us to be. You're a father, you have two girls, you have a wonderful wife, work mostly in the automotive industry supply. I work in the automation hope- industry.
1: It's actually quite boring. I work from home, which is bad. I have no employees, which is bad. So as you can imagine... Being in lockdown is uh, pretty much operations normal for me. Basically, paragliding is my escape from the house. I need to, it's sometimes with with having a family, if you're the guy traveling, you're doing it on your own. It's a bit selfish. But for me, it's, it's my holiday from the family
0: is to get away. Paragliding is the way I do it. And you seem to feature very well in the competition. I mean, when I see you coming, I'm like, uh-oh, Jon's on his way. I have this very calm way about you. You have this relaxed style, like like you've got all the time in the world to get to goal. But yet, uh, you're very often featuring near the front. Uh, how do you do that? I try to fly
1: more technical relative to the others, based on the textbooks. You know, fly the... Uh, fly the thermal bands uh Uh you were talking a bit about get high stay high that's not my style um people have called me the mole for low running (laughs) uh which is not good it's not optimal so i've been trying to change that uh gaggle flying is not my natural style which i've been trying to change in the last year at the pwcs i've been doing that a little bit more it has improved my results at the pwcs a little bit you know the pwcs have become a little bit of a procession in that respect and but you have to my my natural style is to go off on my own i still do that in some places where i where i feel i have a relative advantage on the flat in the flats at portobello I will back myself to go off on my own, on my own line. I sort of fly in a very zen-like, I just believe I will get a thermal, no matter how low I am, there will be a thermal there in front of me. And you just keep going. And portable tends to spoil you in that respect, because you can get a low save at 50 meters in portable. That's not true in many sites in the rest of the world. You know, you always wonder, wh- what is your relative risk? Wh- one of the things that st- uh, sticks in my mind is the time in the middle of Turkey at uh, mm-hmm. Axe Ray, in the plains there, yeah, yeah. deliberately diving into a dust devil at 50 meters. You're, you, yeah. you're making, knowingly making a risk reward call there, saying it's 40 degrees on the ground. It's in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to land here, <laughs> and and uh, you just go for it. Yeah. Other than that, I, I my risk reward is uh, try to avoid taking risks. I do take more risks if I'm flying in competition, but uh, and significantly less when I'm free flying. And also, yeah. e- even within a competition, if I'm not in line for A position in the top 10. I'm not going to leave a three meter thermal when I can get another 200 meters in a three meter thermal on a final glide. I'll just uh, take it and go go with the flow. So do you
0: find that you, yeah sorry just a question, do you find you will fly more aggressively if you are not featuring nicely in the comp? Do you think That that suddenly changes your idea for like, okay, uh, now I've got nothing to lose. I go for it. I find I fly less well the more I think about it. Uh, I
1: tend to fly, have my best flight on the first day of the competition. And then I start, as I start relaxing, because I'm I'm a low hour pilot. So my recency is seldom very good. So I'm all tensed up. on the first day of a competition and often fly my best Mm -hmm. flight and early in the competition. Then I start relaxing because I'm now into it. I've got the feel and I often fly worse when I'm relaxed and trying to be more strategic. It's a tough call. I still right now need to work on my motivations for strategic planning through a whole competition.
0: Definitely food for thought on those ones. Uh.
1: Now, I noticed in the in the PWC's the field tends to be more conservative on the first day as well. Then I, I saw in a, in a competition in Brazil I had a case where the lead gaggle was just taking an unnecessary thermal. They were a, I had already decided my thermal band. I was at the top of my thermal band. Their thermal was not that great. We were on final glide. Uh, I was mm-hmm. 100 meters below final glide, just flew straight past them. That wasn't great flying on on my part. It was more gaggle drag from the main, the main gaggle we're just sitting there. It's not always the case that a PWC field
0: is optimal. And we've often seen that. As I discuss more and more podcasts with people, then I, I start to realize that you know, and Russell put it in a very, very good way. He said before, uh, long ago, we would have half an hour out of our three-hour race would be in a thick gaggle. Two and a half out of three hours can be in a thick gaggle. The style of, cha- of flying has definitely changed. And it comes down to the question of scoring and advantages and lead-out points and if it's worth actually going it alone. Think, am I comfortable in a tight gaggle? Am I not? Am I going to break out by myself? Am I going to go out there? Am I going to push hard? And I think that's what makes uh, paragliding really fun. You know, it's uh, you've got all these choices. You've got all this, like you were describing paragliding a little earlier, saying like it's really much more happening. It's much more in your head. You know, when you're flying a sailplane, I'm sure you're much more relaxed, aren't you? Not really. It's it's it's. You'll be amazed how similar it is. Okay.
1: The 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 scary part with flying a sailplane is. Your computer is telling you, you can make it, but you literally cannot see the field. The glide angle is, is that flat so that what that means is that if you look down, you're very close to the ground. If I don't make it, I'm going to have to make a call for to land in the field from extremely low. Now the, the good guys are used to that. I'm not quite comfortable with that yet. 5, 10 kilometers out, you feel
0: as though you're on the deck. But are you uh, at a glide of uh, sixty to one or fifty to one? You're literally 150 meters above the ground. Uh, 150 yeah. meters above the ground—that's where the pilots are going to land. You know? Yeah. Well, the, the big difference in a sailplane is your speed. So,
1: if you're flying yeah. like that, your your speed is your safety margin. So you can. Mm -hmm. With a glide of 1 in 50, you can, if you're doing 200 kilometers an hour, you should be able to pull up uh, 300 meters. Then just instead of flying 200, slow down to 120 and you'll make it. Unless there's a ridiculous amount of sink
0: like from a thunderstorm or a gust front or something like that. And do you find that the sailplaning, uh, paragliding kind of help one another? I'll, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. I ride a, a mountain bike, I ride a, an off-road motorcycle, and I ride an on-road motorcycle. I'm wondering if over the years I haven't gotten better at riding motorcycle off-road uh, because I mountain bike and the other way around. Do you think the one and the other help each other? Or do you think they are so kind of different that there's little correlation? The emotional side of it,
1: risk-reward, th- those decisions are, are very much the same. And to be quite frank, that's the most mm-hmm. of it. You know, stick and rudder skills with your hands is just its like riding a bicycle. Once you can do it, you can do it, no matter what aircraft you're flying. A paraglider tends to stimulate more of your senses, particularly your, your body's uh, muscle tension. You know, when you're feeling the pressure in your brakes, you are feeling the, your muscle tension all over your body and you're flying from your hips. So flying a paraglider involves your whole body and all your senses, in particular, your 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 muscle tension. Uh, whereas a sailplane, you're feeling the G-load of a thermal gust. But other than that, you're trusting more
0: how it affects the aircraft very great i want to change the subject a little bit and ask you if you've got any really funny stories or crazy experiences that you've had in your years of flying
1: yeah it's uh the funny stories of the the friends that you have those trips that we did to um, da'ar i miss those Mm -hmm. the stories in the bar afterwards were always lots of misbehavior and when you did an outlanding out there you would land in places where no one gets to see, you know, uh, a little farm that's like an amazing oasis in the middle of a desert, getting entertained for hours and hours, waiting six hours for a recovery, that sort of thing. The the friends, the, uh, I'm sure you've heard about that famous trip where the cloudbusters went down to Da'ar on on the train. Uh oh, and, yes. Yeah. Uh, People like uh, Tienz. Uh, so we we're on the train and Tienz is uh, brying. He, he had someone build him a, a stainless steel rotiss- a gas-fired rotisserie. <laughs> and he brought it on the train and we were brying chickens in a train carriage. Yep. And the, you know what uh, roasting chicken smells like? And the smell is yeah, just yeah. wafting down this train. And uh, the, the people on the train were amazing. They brought us uh, uh, plates and knives and forks and bread. And <laughs> we had a huge party on that train. They didn't have any problems that you were buying on the train. Well, they could smell it. So they were just that train service do not get to see customers like us very often. So I think they were quite interested to see different people on the train. Uh, which is a pity that no, no one travels that those trains anymore. And this year, it's become
0: absolutely chaotic. That service has fallen apart completely. Do you want to just get wherever we want to go as fast as we? What's the fastest way to get somewhere now? As time becomes more and more and more, I, it's, it's such a bizarre thing going on in the world. It's uh, it's an enigma. My parameter is beer. There must be
1: I must land at a place where there's grass to land on and beer. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. So I'm not looking for distance. I'm looking for nice grass to land on and beer.
0: So I think we can wrap it right here. Let's keep it a short podcast for today. That's absolutely great. And uh, look forward to playing with you soon again, my friend. Have you got any last things you want to say to the universe out there? I, I have become really frustrated
1: with people who intent on following the rules that we're being exposed to at the moment it just, the the rules themselves that's them the fact that people are obeying them so willingly is that's on you
0: that's very powerful i'm uh, following the news very carefully because of course i want to go flying and i find absolutely no sense in us being locked down and I mean where do you draw the line you know where do you end it all and for me it absolutely makes no sense well, we've got we're push, missing we, the complete we've solution.
1: got we've got to push these people
0: the the only
1: no. thing that counts is, is it's scientifically no. necessary in a pandemic public discipline if they see other people doing it that's bullshit
0: it's utter bullshit i agree with you all the world today is fomo part of what's driving us is that uh, one guy's having a good time, so we can't have a good time. Let's end it there, Jan. Okay. Cheerio. Cheers.